Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Rodrigo Restrepo Montoya. His writing has appeared in Triangle House Review, Joyland, X-Ray, and Spectra. His new novel is The Holy Days of Gregorio Passos, which is published by our friends at $2 Radio. Rodrigo, welcome to the program. Hi, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And before we dive into your novel, Rodrigo, I'd like to know, uh, I like to know how writers have hooked up with their publishers, especially indie publishers. How did your novel find its way to $2 Radio, Rodrigo? And how has it been working with them so far? It's been great working with them. Uh, I found them, essentially, I've been a fan of their work for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I love their books. um, And in a lot of ways, they seem to represent what an indie press should be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I really felt that my work, this this particular novel, was a good fit for them. Um, I sent them a general submission um, with a, you know, a love letter, basically, detailing why I think it would be a great fit, why I thought it would be a great fit. And, um, you know, I woke up to one of the best emails I ever have received, you know, uh, a couple months later. Um, you know, I've always admired their work. I've always appreciated what they've done for indie art, for indie books, for indie authors. And, um, you know, after working with them on this project over the course of the last year, I, I appreciate them and, and value them even more than I did before. You know, it really has been a great process working with them. And, and um, I really, really appreciate the work that they do and the work that they've done with me on, on this project. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Rodrigo. Um, now let's get to this excellent novel, The Holy Days of Gregorio Passos. Um. First, let's talk about relativity by way of your opening line. Uh, is it true, Rodrigo, that the longer you live, the shorter a day becomes? Why or why not? Um, I think so. I, I think it's a, I think it's a, I'm not a math person, but I think there is something to, you know, if uh, the first year of your life is 100% of the life you've lived, then, well, every year after that is going to feel and uh, essentially be shorter. Um, you know, I think the book centers a lot around um, around death, around the ends of things, relationships, um, lives. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, I was just interested in this idea of life sort of almost accelerating as we get older, of uh, time passing by faster and faster as uh, mm-hmm. uh, the more time we experience, you know, uh, awake and alive on on our planet. So, um, yeah, I think I do think that is true. I do think that's why. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um your protagonist in this novel is a soccer player. Uh, what is the place for sports in your novel, Rodrigo, and also in novels in general? Um, I want you to answer how being a soccer player affects your protagonist's life, but maybe also tell us about some other great novels that involve sports. So, sure. I mean, I can start by answering a book that I read that I really loved was um, Alvaro Rodriguez's Sudden Death, which centers around uh, tennis. Um, the beginnings of the sport of tennis, it fictionalizes a match between um, Quevedo and Caravaggio, and it essentially seems to build its structure around this vantage point of this back and forth play. Um, and it also does center on themes of art, colonial history, um, conquest, Spanish conquest of the Americas and that sort of thing. Um, so I saw that book. Um, I had already started writing and 
you know, exploring this project through the eyes of the goalkeeper, the soccer goalkeeper that is Gregorio. Um, and in the holy days of Gregorio Passos, I thought that it would be interesting if, you know, the author was someone who played this particular position in soccer, which is, um, you know, there's only one goalie or two goalies on the field, one goalie per team. And oftentimes it's, you know, people don't necessarily dream of being a goalkeeper. It's kind of a punishment. It's sort of a position you end up playing because you weren't good at other positions. And um, there's an aspect of it where you were essentially tasked with staying home and um, trying to protect and prevent bad things from happening. And the whole time, I think most relevant to the, the book is watching the game. Um, I think Gregorio is a quiet narrator. And I think uh, for the most part, he is observing the world around him and you know absorbing and listening to the stories of other people in the game before him, in the life before him and around him. So. Um, in that sense, he's sort of, you know, staying home, trying to do his best to prevent bad things from happening while, um, you know, performing, I think, what he thinks is a useful role for uh, for his team, for his family, for his community, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Rodrigo. Um, let's now talk about pain pills. Uh, your protagonist is injured and prescribed pain pills, and he asks uh, what kind of pills they are, and the doctor just laughs and says, some of the strongest we have. Uh, my question is, what does this answer tell us about the doctor? Is this type of attitude partially responsible for leading humanity into an opioid epidemic? Like, why can't the doctor name the pill? <laughs> I think there's a there's definitely I mean overprescription is a real problem. The opioid epidemic is um, like so many other epidemics a, a real one, um, and uh, I think addiction plays a large role in the novel, mainly through alcohol, as we see over the course of tobacco as well. Um, but um, really, I, I think the way that came into the book was uh, I had when I was doing a certain round of edits at that time, um, I had just had wisdom teeth surgery, so I was um, actually prescribed. Um, you know, some of these pain pills. I had never, you know, needed them before, thankfully. Um, and, um, you know, it was just kind of amazing to me, especially when you know what you know, you read what you read, you're afraid to take something that you know is, um, you know, has destroyed so many lives, um, destroyed so many communities. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a small moment in the book, but I think it does kind of fit in the larger web of uh, addiction and substance and, and um, you know, yeah, I guess uh, the ways in which we are sort of fed a lot of these substances and led to use a lot of these substances um, as people who are just trying to get by. Yeah. Do you think that people uh, like Gregorio, who kind of observe and feel the world more than others, are more prone to addiction than, say, someone who is living their life for the next episode of The Bachelor or something? You know, I'm not sure, but I do think that the the relationship to the substance it probably tends to be different for those types of people. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the time, you know, in the case of this book, I, I think we have people, Nico, for example, um, who rely on this substance for even just connection, um, as destructive as some of these substances can be. And as um, he does seem to be definitely someone who shaped by his relationship and his addiction to alcohol um, mm. and tobacco. It seems to be, a, you know, one of the main causes of his death. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that sort of ironically, the self-medication and use of that substance also is what helps him connect with Gregorio. It's actually something that bonds them 
together. It's something that they essentially do. There's a ritual to that. So um, that was another thing I wanted to explore. But yeah, I think, for example, Nico would fit that description. Um, Gregory as well as people who are generally a little more, um, you know, sensitive to the world around them and a little bit more um, affected by the changing breezes and winds of, you know, everything that goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, Gregorio and his partner in this novel are reading a newspaper, and the article is about the planet, uh, the end of food, climate plagues, etc. Um, and as they are reading the article, the couple decides or reconfirms their decision to not have children. Uh, my question, Rodrigo, is, is this response to this article responsible um, or not, the decision to not have children based on the condition of the world? You know, as far as that question goes, I, I think people should be able to choose if they have children or not. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, that moment in the book when Gregorio and Ramona, his fiance, are talking about and seem to be deciding not to have children, um, it comes very early in the book. And uh, considering that the most of the book, the vast majority of the book has to do with Gregorio looking back on this crucial time period in his life, um, I think that in a way the book can be read through the lens of Gregorio ultimately reaching that decision not to have children as his own. Um, I think childlessness also kind of runs through the book in regards to, you know, the two main characters that, or the two characters that Gregorio is closest to in the book, Nico and Magdalena, who are both older people, um, who are both childless and, you know, considering their older age, it's pretty clear that they won't, they definitively won't be having any children of their own. Um, so I think that's more or less what I was getting at in terms of examining whether or not this character thinking about whether or not he should have children and at this moment at the beginning of the book deciding that he won't. Absolutely. Thank you, Rodrigo. Uh, listeners, we're going to pause here for a word from our sponsor. Then I'll be right back with Rodrigo Restrepo Montoya. Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Rodrigo Restrepo Montoya, author of The Holy Days of Gregorio Passos, which is published by our friends at $2 Radio. Rodrigo, our protagonist's mother in this novel, um, she's in Colombia at the beginning of your novel, and she is sick. She says that when she dies, she doesn't want her children to be sad because she will be happy because she will be done. Um, and my question, Rodrigo, is, is anyone ever able to follow this type of advice? Is it possible? I don't know. Um, thankfully, you know, my mother's still alive. Mm -hmm. um obviously well not obviously but it is you know a great probably the greatest or one of the greatest fears um losing her um we're very close mm -hmm. but uh yeah in, in this novel i i thought it was interesting you know i, I think there's a lot of caretaking that that takes place mm -hmm. in this novel uh, gregorio takes care of his dying uncle nico he mm -hmm. also 
sort of performs a similar role um, for Magdalena, this woman that he that he lives with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that uh, Gregorio's mother is doing the same thing for her mom and for her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, she is performing this caretaking role. In a lot of ways, I think that statement from Gregorio's mother is, um, you know, one of the few kind of, you know, direct and bare statements about the grief involved with performing that kind of work and doing that kind of work where you are sort of trying to ease someone into into death as they're declining um, or trying to help them get better, but it doesn't seem like uh, the grandmother and the, the aunt are getting better. So um, in that sense, it's kind of like, I think a rare flash in the book where that kind of perspective comes in um, almost naked in a way. And um, yeah, I, I see uh, also, there's also something uh, very interesting about a, a sister who's suicidal and um, a mother who is uh, making this statement to their own uh, child, to their own son, about um, perhaps uh, wishing things would kind of just end. Mm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Rodrigo. Um, at the end of the introductory chapter of your novel, a dove flies into a window and dies. Uh, and this reminds me of the opening to John Shade's poem in Vladimir Nabokov's Pale Fire. Uh, my question is, what does a dove flying into a window symbolize? And why is this image so potent uh, potent enough to be a recurring motif in literary novels? Um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that's kind of, you can't help yourself but use it. I, I think mm-hmm. doves take on a meaning in this book um, in several places. At the beginning of the book, I think, you know, you think of them as a symbol of peace. Um, and you think of, you know, the way in which a window, a, you know, a, a material that is supposedly, or in many ways, invisible, invisible to birds that fly into them. Um, so it's, uh, I think, sort of representative about uh, the things we can't control. Um, and uh, the obstacles that are sort of planted along our way um, as we try to try to live our lives, um, survive in a lot of ways, which is in our most basic animal um, way, what we try to do. Um, you know, I also see the doves as particularly meaningful um, in the beginning and last chapters when I think of, uh, as they relate to art in the book, Fernando Botello's mm-hmm. statues. Um, it's a true story that there was a statue in, um, you know, this uh, plaza in Medellin in Colombia. And um, if anyone's seen Fernando Botero's work, they tend to be these chubby figures, people and animals. Um, and uh, that that statue was bombed um, and many people were, were killed. I think about 30 people were killed. Um, and um, they wanted him to replace the statue. What he did was essentially plant a dove next to it. He built another one just like it and put it right next to the dove that had been where it bombed it and planted. And that dove ended up very mangled and destroyed and, and um, there. So I thought a lot about the doves and in a lot of ways I thought about Nico as a dove who had been kind of destroyed. I thought of Gregorio as a dove who was still intact, who was still young, still had his life ahead of him in many ways. And, and um, yeah, I was, I was thinking about just, um, you know, I guess the frailty of, of life in a lot of ways and, and uh, thinking of people as, you know, as frail as birds, even if we like to think we're not. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, Rodrigo, my next question is, if you are a person who is in high school, uh, 
this person's 18 years old, which is the age of consent in most states in the United States of America, is it okay for this person to ask their teacher out on a date or no? Why or why not? No, I don't think that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's probably Gregorio's one of his lowest moments in love. Um, mm -hmm. That's where he begins. So uh, we see Gregorio as someone who, you know, at the very beginning of the novel is someone who is essentially aimless and essentially directionless in some ways. Um, he's seeking out a relationship with his teacher in this sort of desperate, again, I think, you know, uh, in a drunk state, he sends this letter. Um, and, uh, you know, soon after we see uh, Gregorio, you know, his parents intervene in a way mm -hmm. and uh, send him to live with his uncle Nico and kind of task him with this responsibility. In a lot of ways, I think he's being assigned to grow up. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think over the course of the novel, he does. Um, but no, I would. I do not think that is appropriate, and uh, I don't think anybody should think that it is appropriate or okay to do that. Yeah, right on. Thank you. Um, I now want to ask you about a quote in your novel, which is about being Colombian, and the quote is, "To be Colombian is an act of faith." End quote. Um, can you unpack this quote for us? What does it mean? So, um, a lot of the ways that uh, Colombian history is presented in the novel is uh, through Nico. Um, mm. And a lot of the ways that I, you know, growing up a uh, Colombian-American in the United States, I did spend a lot of time in Colombia, but um, I grew up here. Um, I lived here, my friends were here, I went to school here. Um, essentially, I, I grew up mostly here. Um, mm. And the, the lens through which I saw Colombian history was uh, through an oral lens. I, I, I picked up these histories, family histories, national histories, events, tragedies, etc. The, you know, Colombian violence that, you know, essentially took up most of the second half of the 20th century and into, into the 21st century. Um, mm. Those were mainly, I think, you know, relayed to me anecdotally um, through stories um, from my, my parents. Maybe. Uh, most of my family lives in Colombia. Mm. And uh, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a line I'd heard from a family member um, when discussing some of these events. And, and it's always stuck with me. It always stuck with me, um, especially as we are looking at, you know, also we're tracing a Colombian history that is uh, very much defined by its colonial history um, and by conquest, genocide, and uh, just the general, um, you know, impact of European settlement and inquisition. So um, I thought, you know, these countries that, you know, Colombia is a country that is still intensely religious and very Catholic. Um, and I thought just the interplay of that faith and that history um, was very much present in that line, especially, um, you know, in many ways, Nico is a person who, you know, is uh, trying to make meaning out of a life that's been very much thwarted by this violence. Um, and he's been displaced. So uh, in a lot of ways, his uh, relationship to his home country and his relationship to himself and his family and so on are, are defined by things that are no longer present in a world he no longer really was able to live in. Um, so in that way, there is an act of faith there as well of uh, wanting to believe something of, of, you know, I guess yearning, reaching for a certain um, belief. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, finally, Rodrigo, I want to close with a big question. Uh, at one point in your novel, 
Our protagonist is sitting on a couch, recovering uh, from a situation which might have provided a bit of a shock. Um, at that moment, the front runner for the school's valedictorian comes and sits next, sits next to him. Uh, the valedictorian, the front runner, at this moment questions the value of literature, of good books, and dares our protagonist to change his mind. Um, Gregorio fails to change his mind. My question for you, Rodrigo, is what would you say to this valedictorian frontrunner to change his mind about the value of books and literature? I think I would tell him that the record number of book bans across the country sort of tells everything we need to know about the power of literature, um, especially considering the ways in which, you know, books allow us to communicate and deeply connect with all kinds of people across time, across place, across nation, et cetera. Um, and I think that's true for both the act of reading and the act of writing as well. I know for me in the act of writing this book, um, I really wanted to write a book that, you know, examine the ways in which Latin American people are often considered less than human in this country. Um, and if they're even visible at all which they're often not. Um, so I really sort of set out to, I mean, think about several things with this book and examine and explore several things in this book. But I think, um, you know, in light of everything that's going on with book bans and so on, um, that is what I mainly set out to do. And, and I think that in terms of banning books, that sort of connection and humanization is what is, um, you know, that the effort is to prevent that connection and that humanization. Um, for all sorts of people, um, you know, in this country and, and in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Rodrigo, and thank you for writing this fantastic novel. Listeners, I've been speaking with Rodrigo Restrepo Montoya, author of The Holy Days of Gregorio Passos, which is published by our friends at $2 Radio. Rodrigo, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. Once again, I would like to thank Rodrigo Restrepo Montoya for joining me. Copies of The Holy Days of Gregorio Passos can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsors at Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies and this has been Bookin'.